PFF now has an app. Get access to industry-leading fantasy football advice, PFF's exclusive betting dashboards, the latest premium football analysis all in the palm of your hand. When you sign up, leave us a five-star review with your 2022 Super Bowl prediction and final score, and we'll share the best ones on the show. Will we actually share the best ones on the show? I, uh, I'm just reading the ad here, but that, uh, I guess we will. We'll share the best ones on the show. What is up? Welcome in to Talking Ball on this lovely Monday post week five action. A little different Monday than we're used to because I got flooded. You guys, which I love to see over the course of the weekend, flooded with mailbag questions. So it's going to be just today, just the one take on every team, takeaways from every game we saw over the course of the weekend, and just mailbag today. So I got a bunch of mailbag questions at the back end that we'll get to, but we'll start. Off the rip with the one-take section. Starting with Thursday night football. Colts-Broncos. Glad I stayed up for this one. Colts win 12-9. to um, Keep their season alive to a degree here. But my biggest takeaway is this offensive line at the moment. And it got so bad that they did some reshuffling this past week. Brad Raymond comes in at left tackle, and he's obviously you know, in the third year ever playing offensive line in his career, in his life. Not quite ready for the NFL. Who could have seen that coming? Matt Pryor goes to the right side, not fixing what's been wrong with him. They now have allowed, they allowed 23 pressures in this game against the Denver Broncos. Six most pressures in the NFL. Right up there with the Rams, who we'll get to a little bit later, for the steepest offensive line decline that I've seen from 2021 to 2022. Um, Maybe see what Eric Fisher's up to. Maybe see Andrew Whitworth's up to if you really want to save your season because this is untenable at the moment. Like, this, this is not a sustainable. I know they're back to 500 now, 2-2-1, two, two and one, but it ain't going to last with the way this offensive line's playing. Um, we'll say, though, nice, nice little game for Alec Pierce. They, they need him. It catches 84 yards. They needed, I said after week one, they need a strong number two. That's the biggest thing missing from this offense. Need someone, maybe not the biggest thing now, considering their offensive line play, but they need someone else besides Michael Pittman. He continues. He at least can provide that deep vertical threat in the passing game that, uh, I mean, shit, Paris Campbell has not been. Um, On the other side, Broncos, takeaway for them. It really is a shame that the Nathaniel Hackett, Russ Wilson experiment is going about as bad as anyone could have expected. I mean, there was no one panning this pairing over the course of the offseason to this degree. I mean, people were saying, you know, maybe pump the brakes a little before putting them in the AFC West conversation in terms of winning it. That was fair take. But I don't think anyone said that it just wasn't going to work out. And as of right now, it is just straight up not working out. Do you think the injury has anything to do with it? Because didn't I think it was back like to the yesterday. thumb from last year? Or? No, no. Like it was either yesterday or Saturday. There was that report that came out that he has like a torn lat. Oh wow! And he's been playing hurt. Do you think that's? See, I don't. Do you think that's just why he's so bad, or do you think it's like a combination of things? I, I don't. To, truthfully, prior to this, like I, I didn't think his arm and necessarily like throw to where it ended up was the problem. It, it was just him not finding guys, him not being comfortable in the offense, the offense not getting guys open. This one was the first game where I was like, oh shit, Russ is actually 
playing poorly. Like he's actually the problem in this offense at the moment. So if it's a new injury, that could very well. I mean, four in fairness, I did not read the article. Okay, well, I just yeah, saw it. I didn't either. So a lot of speculation here. But yeah, that that to me, it it was not that until this past game, which was which was awful. If you told me he was hurt, I could believe you for that because forty point nine overall grade in this tough. But it's a shame that they are not working out because this defense is awesome, man. I, I mean, this defense is a lot of hashtag fun to watch with how they can get after opposing quarterbacks. Bradley Chubb, 19 pressures on the season. Randy Gregory, 19 pressures on the season. One of my breakout calls this year, Baron Browning, talked about him as one of the studs of the preseason, 14 pressures on the season already. Draymond Jones, 14 pressures. Like, they can get after opposing quarterbacks. And then, oh, yeah, you got Patrick Tan, one of the best corners in the NFL on the back end. But all for naught at the moment. Not really making a lick of difference as you still have the Broncos sitting at 2-3 and three, way back now in the AFC West. Next game, fast forward to Sunday, where Sunday morning uh, could not have gone worse for your boy. Not because not I blew up a Wendy's bathroom this time, but just because the Green Bay Packers uh, proverbially blew up a Wendy's bathroom on, out in London. Um, not sure if they have Wendy's out in London. I'm not sure if that's like a global has global appeal the way like a McDonald's would. Do you, do you think they have Wendy's is like a worldwide brand? That's a good question. I would I'm going to look it up now that yeah, we're that talking about it. But like, I mean, KFC, McDonald's, KFC is, yeah. those are McDonald's all like Taco does. Bell. That's all like pretty worldwide. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Wendy's has gotten like, and not to shit on Wendy's, but I don't know if they've gotten to like that level of franchise. Uh, yeah. Franchise. I, I would, I would tend to agree that I don't, I don't think if I'm in, you know, London, Rome, I'm expecting to see Wendy there staring back at me. But the Packers weren't expecting to see Daniel Jones staring back at him playing competent football. Honestly, my one take for the Giants was what a game plan from Brian Dable to kind of understand. One, you have a turnover play quarterback who's dealing with an awful array of wide receivers with pretty much their entire starting wide receiving core out. You're throwing to David Sills. You're throwing to Darius Slayton. Um, you're not throwing to a murderous row. You, you know, you know that you're not winning a lot of one-on-one matchups on the outside. Let's just say um, one, the Packers didn't even attempt to, they, they're still like refused to play man coverage, even if they have quite a glaring advantage in such situations like we saw in this game. Uh, but they just got crossing routed to death. I, I mean, a lot of, uh, I love the way they utilize Saquon Barkley in the um, Wildcat game that they've done this year, but the Packers looked wholly unprepared to stop. Um, Saquon obviously still balling, still looks like the Saquon of old, thank God, post-ACL injury, one year removed, 70 yards on 13 carries in this one, but Daniel Jones, just an efficient performance. Um, Brian Dable, another just... I don't want to call it a masterclass, but another good coaching output. Like, like that was a great game plan to go up against, knowing you'd be kind of, I don't want to say overmatched, but knowing you didn't have that advantage, run a lot of crossers, run a lot of stuff to try to get guys free and schemed open, and they did just that. Um, and from the Packers' perspective, I, I tweeted out this morning, they've allowed the most yards on crossing routes in the NFL. Second fewest passing yards allowed of any defense in the NFL and the most yards on crossing routes, which does not quite compute, which is, again, that goes back to coaching and how you guys are prepared for 
just that. Um, and on the offensive side of the ball, they don't have the personnel to attack on the football field. Ten completions this season, 15-plus yards down. And so when the second half, they go from this dink-and-dunk passing game that they run the whole first half to try to push it downfield, it just doesn't work. And especially with Sammy Watkins and Christian Watson out. They, they really should have just stuck to their bread and butter underneath. That, that was that was really that, – that has to be your game plan with the level of talent they have right now at wide receiver. So uh, I don't think sky's falling in Green Bay – but the skies, it, it's on the decline. It, it's it's tilted downwards at the moment. Um, no Wendy's. No Wendy's in, in yeah, London. 5,897 U.S. locations, 405 in Canada. Okay, and that's, that's it. it. That's they it. haven't made it across the pond yet. Someday they'll, uh, the Brits will understand the goodness that is a homestyle French toast at 9 a.m. hungover on a Sunday. All right, Steelers, Bills. Bills win going away, a little bit of a laugh for 38-3. to From the Steelers' perspective, I didn't really have a great take on Kenny Pickett. I thought he was fine. I, I don't, given the matchup, given the lack of running game, given the fact their defense just was getting threaded, I don't think he played poorly. Obviously, three points on the scoreboard is never going to be what you want, but making his first career start, I, I'm not going to write him off, write him either way. I just thought it was a – fine performance he definitely looks ready to start you know Mitch Trubisky comes in will not have done any better in that situation I'll just say but my big takeaway from the Steelers is that I don't think it is too soon to say Najee Harris is not special he's a fine NFL running back not read what your notes say not writing him off I said he is officially not him in my notes is what I said he's not him he's not him you know he's fine he's fine but he's not him 3.2 yards per carry this year 20, 20 yards on 11 carries in this game. And, and you can shit on the Steelers' offensive line all you want, but you draft a running back in the first round because you think he can overcome bad blocking to a degree that makes it worth your while to draft that guy. But then the bigger thing with me and with Najee Harris in the first round, whatever, is that there's just no home run plays. Like, there's no, oh, you got to worry about him on a wheel route. Oh, oh, he gets in the flat. You don't know what could happen. It's like, he gets in the flat, he could break two tackles, and that play still goes for six yards because there's just no juice. There's no next level, next gear to get to that Najee uh, has. So, Where was he at on the big board Officially not that him. year? Uh, 60s. I forget. Okay. Which, I mean, like running back bump aside, he, he was RB2 on the board that year, had Javante RB1. Um, but it was close. Him and, I think him and Etienne were back-to-back on that draft board. Just did not think any of them were – close to first round caliber though I was I was floored that he got that kind of hype just because of again goes back to just that explosive ability he never ran a pre-draft 40 but he was not a guy who was running past people at the collegiate level and when that's when that's not the case the collegiate level you will be hawked at the NFL level you're gonna have defensive linemen catching you if you're that slow so that was my biggest worry from the Bills' perspective, kind of business as usual for the Bills this season, but really have to give a shout-out to Gabe Davis. Um, his development is kind of, I don't want to say a rarity nowadays because guys still do develop, but I, th- I don't think we've had that kind of patience at the receiver position to go, you know, to go the route that he has gone from – Back up year one to you know, to kind of just year on year improvement from one to two to now year three, 171 yards in this game, three catches, two touchdowns. Really reminds me from a like what his game is 
as like a light version of Mike Evans, where he's this kind of bigger 6'3", 212. Now Evans got like 20 pounds in him in two inches, but just a guy who may not be the most sudden, elusive at the line of scrimmage, but he's so physical. And once he gets up to top speed, all of a sudden he's running away from you. You know, you don't expect a guy that size to be striding away from you as, you know, a smaller corner uh, who thinks they're fast. But once he gets his long strides up to speed, he is flying. And you saw it in this one. Two big plays for him on the day. Um, And like I said, 171 yards. Gabe Davis, just a real nice compliment to Stefan Diggs. And both being downfield threats really makes this Bills offense, you know, why they're the Bills offense right now. Um, Next game. Chargers Browns Chargers win 30 28 after a debated Brandon Staley fourth down decision even I was at home like Staley was going to catch some shit for this either way the fourth down in his own territory fourth and two any chart you look at though says go for it in that scenario any chart does and it's because one the scenario that did play out they don't get it they still have to gain yardage and still have to make a long field goal which the Browns did not. The other scenario that I think people underrate how likely it is to get into field goal range with just over a minute left after a punt like that. Get the ball at your own 20, just over a minute left. Teams get into field goal range at a very high clip to where they were, you know, and where they did end up kicking field goal. It's not too dissimilar. So you're putting the hands, the game, in the hands of your best player. You convert it, it's over. You win. So Staley's going to catch some shit, but they won the game. That was an outcome that exists when you don't even when you don't secure it is stopping them, stopping them in quotes as in them missing the field goal. But yeah, Staley, dude can't buy a bucket though. It feels like any time he does make that call, it seems it has not gone his way, or the ones that have gone his way just don't get remembered. So glad that uh, glad that we're talking about that in a semi-positive light at the moment instead of it being another brand Staley fourth down decision that comes back to bite them on the other side. And I said a little bit of this on it's just football for the Browns. This has to be the most underperforming unit in the NFL, in my opinion. Now, maybe I had too high expectations for them, but this defense has legitimate talent, all three levels, difference makers too, to be this bad. You have one of the best selling linebackers in the NFL in Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. You have one of, if not the best, defensive end in the NFL in Miles Garrett. You had Jadavion Clowney back in this one, who's been playing well this season. You have Denzel Ward on the back end, one of the highest paid corners in the NFL. John Johnson, one of the highest paid safeties in the NFL. You have guys coming through that door that should be talented, that are either not playing up to what we've seen from them in their, the rest of their careers, or just not being put in a situation because you've seen a lot of bust coverage and a lot of bad just high school sort of level stuff, college level stuff from this defense that they're blowing on a weekly basis. That's not not good. So 25 points per game against this Browns D. Yikes. Yikes. And they play a ball control style of game. It's not like they're, you know, throwing the ball willy-nilly that you'd expect high scoring affairs. They're they have the leading rusher in the NFL. It's odd. Odd to say the least. Um, they're Joe Woods' defense. On to Texans, Jaguars, Texans. Surprise. 
their first win of the season. No longer winless, 13-6. to um, From the Texans' perspective, man, Damian Pierce. I-, I was a fan of Damian Pierce, top 100 player on the PFF draft board, RB3 for us, notoriously don't like running backs, and he was in the 90s. I didn't even think he'd be like this good. He has 33 broken tackles and 86 carries this year. Broke 17 tackles in this game on 26 attempts, the most we've ever seen in a single game in PFF history. Like that six run long. he had where he like flipped the guy over his shoulder, that was awesome. It's like six on that it's run. It's too bad that it happened yeah. in this game because if that was like prime time, like shit, if that happened tonight, if that was like if like Clyde Edwards Hilaire did that, a mm-hmm. Chiefs player in prime time, you would see that on repeat for oh, the yeah. next five years. Yeah, it, it did suck that it was in probably one of the least watched games of the weekend. But that highlight was out of this world. He, he's, I just, the, the fact that Florida never utilized him, still baffling. 100 carries last year. 100 carries at Florida. He, he almost has that many through five weeks for the Texans. Absurd. Absurd stuff. And, and then on the opposite side of the ball, and I'm going to kind of plant my flag here. I, I do think in the coming weeks, you are going to start to hear people call out or call into question Trevor Lawrence's makeup, fair or unfair. But you're going to have people saying, Stephen A. Smith's of the world, Skip Bayless's, whether it's clutch gene, whether it's does he want it bad enough, is he a leader, is he an alpha, because, I mean, he played like shit in this game, a very winnable game, the red zone interception was atrocious to Derek Stingley Jr. This was not a team that should have given them as many fits as they did, but two picks, 60.6 passing grade, tough stuff. And Did not play with swag. Did not play with swag. His pregame speeches were not registering. But I His do- Gatorade commercial is bad, too. Have you seen yeah, that? the Gatorade, it's... Like, it's... It is. I mean, I'm a low-energy guy, and even I'm like... Ugh. I was like, dude. I'm also not a. I'm also not a number one pick <laughs> yeah. leader of a franchise. So, but but there I, you go. I do think I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, start to get people calling it out. Does he have like the killer instinct that is what like separates a lot of the top end? You know, guys like Tom Brady or Tom Brady because he is a psychopath to some degree. Like like there are parts about him that are not healthy parts that do lead to winning on the football field, but also may not lead to being, you know, the most well-rounded, uh, empathetic human being. So Lawrence seems like a great guy, but I do think you're going to get people saying, is he have like the moxie, the makeup that is what the elite quarterbacks have? I don't know, but you're going to see people say it. All right. Chicago Bears, Minnesota Vikings. Vikings win 29-22 and kind of a tight one was – uh not expecting it to go down the wire the way it did. Um, from the Vikings' perspective, though, we got to talk a little Christian Derrissaw. Uh, I threw out a tweet this morning because I saw everyone talking about Elijah Tucker. And I just had to rattle some cages because Christian Derrissaw has allowed only seven pressures this season. Elijah Vera Tucker has allowed 14. And Elijah Vera Tucker's been great. Do not get me wrong. He's awesome at guard, at tackle, at wherever he's lined up. He's lined up at three different positions, I believe, on the season already. But everyone's talking about him when this dude, Christian Derrissaw, another shutout going against Robert Quinn, who's going to be who I'm, my one takeaway for the Bears. Shutout against Robert Quinn and company. 
Zero pressures on 48 pass blocking snaps. He's now allowed only seven on 227 pass blocking snaps this season. 82.5 overall grade. That is, when you draft a tackle in the first round, this is the dream scenario. The Vikings have not had, you know, that's what they wanted when they drafted Matt Khalil. Did not happen. Did not turn into this. Christian Darisol looks great, truthfully. Um, Bear side of things. Robert Quinn, what's going on? Is it is it over? He, he was supposed to be. He was the one guy left. You know, you traded away Khalil Mack. I, I floated out last spring. I was like, trade both. You really need to hit reset here. And if you could have gotten anything back from Robert Quinn right now, it looks like a mistake not to have gotten that because, dude, 36.1 overall grade, just not even attempting to play the run. And he's never been a great run defender, but wow. 33.4 run defense grade, only 10 pressures through five games. Far cry from the guy we saw only a year ago. And that, that's, why, that's why a lot of teams get scared signing older, you know, vet vets. He's about to turn 33 here later this season. Because when it goes, it goes. And it is worrisome to think that maybe it just has gone for Robert Quinn because this is the lowest passion grade of his career by far at the moment. Um, next game, Lions-Patriots. I, I hate to do this to the Lions because 29 nothing got blanked against New England on the road. Bill Belichick goes and flexes his muscles. Uh, I guess a beat-up little Lions team, but beat-up a little Lions team. But Aaron Glenn, man, defense coordinator for the Lions, it's time to start asking questions about do moves need to be made because this shouldn't be this bad. This shouldn't be 34 points per game. Giving up 29, actually, one of them was pick six. So giving up what they gave up, though, to a rookie fourth-round pick at quarterback. That shouldn't be, like... There's too much talent on this Detroit defense. You should win that game. Exactly. Just straight up say. Yeah, I was running should. around saying, like, I think it was, like, Lions plus 150 money line or something mm-hmm. was, like, the bet of the week. I, I bet on it and I did, too. did not work out. I did, too. I just, yeah, I thought you, you could beat a third-string QB. You're the better ro- – they, they are the better roster. Now, again, offensively, they didn't have their weapons. Okay. I can, I can get over the zero points, but I can't go, get over what they gave up. To a Patriots offense that's been in the net for the most of the year. And again, backup quarterback. That's just unacceptable stuff, man. That, that's Aaron Glenn's time. Because, you know, it's hard to be... I'll just say this. If you were a upper echelon DC in the NFL, you're not giving up 34 points per game with this defense. Are, are you a top 10 defense with the talent they have? No. No one's expecting that, though. But it shouldn't be this bad. It should be middle of the pack to maybe slightly below. But this is not even close to that at the moment, fortunately. But I do have to go hats off other side of the ball. Patriots. Bailey Zappi was that was poised. That that was I wrote here, that was a big boy performance. That that was not rookie stuff from Bailey Zappi. And the reps that he saw in college obviously led all FBS was a in a pass happy offense wherever he went, whether it was uh Houston Baptist, I believe, was at his first stop. And then Western Kentucky, like, they were slinging it. So he, he was always going to be comfortable in terms of toting the rock. Obviously helps, though, when kind of got the Mac Jones treatment of only 22 dropbacks, wasn't asked to win the game, and then when he was, only two of those under pressure. That's a good situation to start a rookie quarterback in. But hats off to him. He delivered. 
Uh, I thought he was very poised, and it wasn't like Dink and, Dun- and Duncan. 9.3 average depth of target, 82.7 passing grade. Well done, Bailey Zappi. Not not ready to crown anyone there, but I think they can compete to a degree with Zappi. You saw it last week, saw it this week. I don't, I don't think you're seeing a massive, massive drop-off from what Mac Jones is bringing to the table, at least this season. All right, next game. Seahawks lose to the Saints, but keep it tight, 32-39. Seahawks, your highest-scoring offense in the NFL. And, and I'm ready. I'm saying it. Geno's for real. Geno's, Geno's starting next year for over $20 million a year. I, I will as I will bet anyone, right? Whatever you want to say, I, I am staking my claim at the moment. Not, not a super hot take by any means with the way he's played. But this is not fake. This is not Case Keenum. You know, this is not Brock Osweiler. This is high-level quarterbacking with a, a less-than-ideal. It's not an ideal scenario either, like a less-than-ideal scenario. Two rookie starting tackles. Under pressure on, you know, a third of his dropbacks so far this season, a little over. That's above average by NFL standards. And he's playing Lights out. 91.3 grade again. Had the throw of the season to Tyler Lock in the end zone. That was an absolute fucking dime. So, you can't fake this. Can't fake what Geno Smith's doing. Again, he is going to be coveted highly this offseason. Will not be surprised if the Seahawks franchise tag him. Because I don't think they're drafting a quarterback if they do franchise tag him. Um, other, other note for the Seahawks. Rashad Penny gets hurt. Out for the year. Broken fibula. God damn it. Pour one out for your NFL's all-time leader in yards per carry at the moment. Unless Nick Chubb's overtaken him. 5.7 yards per carry for his career for Shad Penny. Dude cannot buy a bucket, though. Only 337 attempts in his career. He just cannot stay on the field. Sucks. Because he had another great game. 54, 54 yards and 8 carries. But also, Kenny Walker looks good, too. Broke off the big one. I think they'll be fine offensively. From the Saints' perspective, I, I again, I, I can't. I keep sticking my foot in my mouth. I, I said, "What's Taysom Hill doing on this roster?" Last week, after doing nothing for a team that was floundering to start the year, and nine carries for 111 yards, three touchdowns, and threw an absolute dime of a touchdown to on a 22-yarder. Um, probably the best game of Taysom Hill's career. I don't think that's a hot take to say. That was pretty electric. Now Seahawks defense, we, we know, is, is rough. But Taysom, what a, what a fucking weird player. I don't understand it at all. It's almost like they like signed him to save him for like yeah. one or two games a year. Because he has one, one or two of these games yes. every year where everybody's like, oh, where, what's going on with Taysom Hill? And then he comes out and does this. It, and it's like, yeah, it's $14 million for our secret weapon. That's it, not really secret because everybody knows he's on the roster and asks why he's not playing. Well, it fit like Sean Payton's ethos, right? Because he's the ultimate. I mean, he like trolls people on Twitter. He, like, he lives for that where it's like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Well, I'm going to do it. That yeah. sort of feeling. Zig when everybody else zags. Exactly. Yep. So it fit that. That's why I was like, dude, they might just, he might just be out. Mm, nope. They still, they're still saving him for that, for that rainy day. Break him out. Um, Dolphins, Jets. Dolphins, blown. Always sucks when your backup quarterback goes down with a concussion after uh, your starter is out with a concussion to then start your seventh-round rookie 
behind a backup offense, two backup offense tackles because your starting tackle, Teron Armstead, also got hurt with toe injury. So they were behind the eight ball, to say the least, in this one, the Miami Dolphins. That there's no real there's no real take from that in that they got kind of boned twice now by the independent concussion protocol because doesn't flag Tua and then he suffers a serious injury on Thursday night that in a game they ultimately lose. And it flags Teddy Bridgewater when may not have actually had a concussion, but it flagged him, and so he can't return to the game because of that, which was just a odd series of events. That, they set themselves up for that, though. That, yeah. They're going to be under scrutiny all year long. Uh-huh. You know? Like, that's just – unfortunately, that's a reality they're going to have to deal with. Yeah. If you're a Dolphins fan right now, though, I, I'd be livid. I'd just be like, what the f- – like, you're, you just can't buy a bucket in that regard. Um, from the Jets' perspective, Zach Wilson – Game manager? He, he did some game manager-y things in this. I, I mean, if that's, if that's the Zach you're getting week in and week out, you're winning games. No turnover-worthy plays for just the third time in his career. 81.9 overall grade. I'm in. Sign me up if I'm a Jets fan. Now, big part of that, five pressures on only 24 dropbacks. That'll help. Elijah Vera Tucker playing yet another position, right tackle in this game, looked solid yet again. I mean, it really doesn't matter where he lines up. Didn't allow a single pressure in this game against the Dolphins. Has now played right guard, left tackle, right tackle on the season. I honestly just think we'll actually get to this later where I think he should play. But besides arm length, and this is a common for a lot of guys, besides arm length, he had everything you could want to play tackle still. He did, coming out. That's why that was honestly what I thought initially when they drafted him. I was like, oh shit, they want to keep him at tackle. Like they want, they were trading up because they want him at tackle. But then obviously slots at left guard, then was supposed to be right guard, then injury strike, left tackle, right tackle. He's already playing, but he's, he's good. I mean, he's just good. That's, that was the eval on Elijah Vertag coming out. He's good. What spot? I don't know. He's played, he played three at USC. He's played three now this season with Jets. Um, doesn't really matter. He's good. But 32 and an eighth inch arms. 32 and an eighth inch arms. All right. Falcons, Bucks. Falcons lose 15 to 21 on my one take for the Falcons. The single worst rough in the past call I've ever seen. That's not even like if the if it had more of an impact on the betting line, so it was a five point game, or excuse me, six point game. It was an eight-and-a-half-point line. It, like, kind of moved the Bucs towards field goal range, but not really. Like, a- after that, the Bucs were either going to – the Bucs were – I don't think it was going to lead to more points. But if it had a more direct impact on the line, it would have been difficult not to think there was some sort of foul play afoot. Because the Grady Jarrett tackling Tom Brady, how every running back, every wide receiver, every person gets tackled in the open field – on a normal roll tackle, like when guys trying to slip away and you roll them to the side, no like overt use of force when throwing them to the ground, just a tackle getting flagged for up in the passer in that scenario was atrocious, an atrocity. That you can't, I, that's just, NFL can't, can't have that. Lucky that wasn't Sunday night football game, Monday night football game, and lucky it wasn't actually moving a line that much obviously Falcons still cover because that 
is bad for business. That you just can't. You need to be able to. You need the sky judge being like, we can't, we can't make that call in that scenario. We just can't, can't have it. All right. And the Bucks' perspective, offense still, even with the full complement, still rough. And this running game, I, I gotta. I know we don't talk running game much here. We focus a lot more on the passing game. But this running game is just so tired. Like, they haven't changed a lick in multiple years now with Byron Left, which I feel like. I feel like it's still the same straightforward, uninspiring concepts that we've seen for years. And now they just don't have the elite offensive line to make it kind of look average. You know, that's kind of what it was the past two years, despite having what a lot of people call the best or worst a top three offensive line. They never had a top three running game or even anything close to resembling that. And now they've kind of lost those pieces and they are dead last in the NFL this year in total EPA generated by the running game. Negative 27.75 expected points lost by their rushing game this season. Um, that, that that's something's got to change there. And I, I think what it looks like, is the thing that's changing is they're just going to stop running. Over 50 dropbacks in this game compared to only 23 passes, 53 dropbacks to 23 passes. That's just what you're going to see going forward. The running game is going to be Tom Brady quick passing game because from a pass protection perspective, when this whole line's healthy, like it's still fine. It can still very much operate, especially with Tom Brady at quarterback, but you can't fake it in the running game. And there's, there's no real hope for that in my opinion. Titans commanders, Titans win 21 to 17, taking over sole possession of first place in the AFC South, the vaunted AFC South at three and two, despite having a negative 22 point differential. AFC South point differentials are a treat right now. You have the Titans negative 22. You have the Colts negative 25 in second place. You have the Jaguars at plus 31, but they're in third place because they're two and three. And then the Texans, only minus 13, despite only having one win on the season. So an odd odd division, to say the least. But Titans are atop, yet again. Kind of still fit, finding ways to win games. And one guy i got to give a shout-out to here, Tier Tart. The former FIU DT, UDFA in 2020. Been a breakout player for them this season. The defensive tackle, 81.8 overall grade. I, I was somewhat of a fan of him coming out. I mean, he was 175th in PSF draft board. Really liked the leverage he played with at FIU. Real stout, despite being only around 300 pounds, 6'2". Stout run defender. He's actually been kind of both for this Titans team. And it, eight run stops on the season, six pressures. Like I said, 81.1 overall grade. Just adding another piece to that interior that for the Titans that that's the strength of this defense right now. Those guys can make plays and also love to play David Longmade to ice that game. From the commander's perspective, I am now officially on Sam Howell watch. Wentz is cool and all. He's probably going to find another starting job next season. Is he cool? Okay, he's not cool at all, but he's, I don't know. I can't hate him. I've, I've never met him. I, I don't want to say. I would go quail hunting with him. I, I, I know he's say, big on that, and that looks fun. I've never done I that. I don't know if anyone's bigger on that than Carson Wentz, actually. 
He's, he might be the biggest. Did you see that picture with just yeah. the you'd You'd come barn. away with a big haul. Like if that was your first time going, that actually might be a bad thing because every time you would go quail hunting after that, you'd be like, man, this sucks. I yeah. never had as big of a haul. Like he'd, he'd be like setting lenses. the bar too high. Mm-hmm. I've actually never been hunting like full stop. I don't, Neither have I. Yeah. I do own a shotgun now. Won a shotgun over the course of the summer at a golf event. So proud shotgun owner, but uh, don't own any ammunition and haven't shot it. So, But I'm on Sam Howell watch because there's just – the reasons to keep throwing Wentz out there at this point are dwindling. And also the reason of the snap threshold that if he hits, the third becomes a second-round pick, also playing a little bit of a factor into that. But it's just, you know, you know what you're getting. It's what Wentz has given you the last two years, and it's not something that's going to take me anywhere close to the promised land. And he's going to cost you too much after the season. So maybe not this week, maybe not next week, maybe not – in two weeks from now, but the commanders continue at this snail's pace. Um, you know, if they, you got the bears, Packers, Colts coming up, if they go one and two over those games, which is a possibility, I think they'll be favored in just this weekend's game against the bears or excuse me, Thursday's game against the bears. That's the only one they'll be favored in. You go one and two in those, you're too far behind the eight ball in the NFC East. You're not making the playoffs. Let the rookie spin it. See what you got. Worst case, worst thing that happens, you get a better draft pick. Honestly, that, that's that. Uh, if you're a Commanders fan, that's what you got to be hoping for at the moment. All right, 49ers, Panthers, 49ers, 37, Panthers, 15. Pretty much as expected. The big news though out of this, Matt Rule, officially out as head coach of the Carolina Panthers. Not a surprise. I think I said on it's just football. If he makes it through this stretch. Uh, without getting fired, which was this game, obviously against the 49ers, Rams game next week, Bucks game the week after. If he made it through that stretch without getting fired, I was going to be floored because they're not going to win these games. It was going to be three straight losses, um, I, I bet. And that's just too much at this point in year three to start out hapless as they are. It's just over. And I don't want to, I don't think he's a bad coach. By any means, I, I do think he had too much control and not as strong a handle on how the NFL game is basically what what wins, how to, how to manage an NFL roster um, and where to invest because they signed a lot of bad contracts on this team and had a lot of interesting decisions dating all the way back to the Teddy Bridgewater contract that was just – didn't have it didn't feel like a team with a long-term vision. You know, you gave him this massive contract and his four-year buyout, apparently $45 million still left here on his deal. Gave him this massive contract and he flew really by the seat of his pants a lot of the times in terms of the decisions they were making and all these short-sighted trades. Like the Stefan Gilmore trade was such a waste last year. That that I I I'm just surprised that it crashed and burned this poorly, honestly. Um, but I, I think he's only tipped the iceberg. Uh, I think Scott Fitter is also going to be out. I, I think this is a full-on house cleaning in Carolina that you're cutting all the all the dead weight or all 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 the contracts that need to be parted ways with this off season are going to get parted ways with this off season, and you're going to get a brand new regime in Carolina with a brand new quarterback at the helm with either the number one or number two overall pick. For Niners' perspective. 
kind of business as usual, kind of one of those Jimmy G games where it's like, yeah, they can win with Jimmy G. And it's like, you don't get excited about, but yeah, you can win with them. The, my big takeaway though is Fred Warner. He, he's linebacker one at the moment. He, he is the best linebacker in the NFL. I, I don't know if that's a hot take. I know there's some competition. I think Matt Milano's played unreal this year. He would be right there in the mix. Shaq Leonard, when he's healthy, obviously there in the mix. But, but it's Fred Warner, man. His ability and coverage is out of this world in this game. Three targets, zero catches, one pass breakup, six defensive stops. He's now allowed only 88 yards on the season in coverage. Three of his five games hasn't allowed a single catch. Three pass breakups. And that's on 17 targets. Oh, freak. And not like, to me, I mean, Devin Lloyd, I comp Devin Lloyd to Fred Warner. These guys aren't, you know, super uber Kenneth Murray-esque athletes. They don't wow you in that regard, but they're just so fluid. You know, 4-6-4 for Warner coming out, but he just moves like a, you know, almost like the inverse of a tight end. The elite tight ends and how they move. Kelsey's, you know, Kelsey's definitely a plus athlete at the position, but he wasn't a Noah Fant. You know, he wasn't that unreal tester. But he just moves that way that you can't coach or teach or whatever. That the fluidity, that's Fred Warner at linebacker. And then have you seen his like jujitsu videos? No. And stuff. It shows up. Interesting. Yeah, it I, looks like a guy that can move. I know he married a chick who was on uh, The Bachelor. Actually, I'm pretty sure. That's my only. That's my only behind the scenes info on Fred Warner. But yeah, only one missed tackle this year on 39 attempts. That's LB1 for you folks. All right, on to the Eagles Cardinals. Eagles. Not a, like they're, I wrote here, they're human. You know, they're, they're, they're beatable. But it's also like they were starting backups at left guard and left tackle because Landon Dickerson went down this game. Um, Jordan Mulatto was already out to start. Backups at left tackle, left guard didn't really matter. Didn't really make a huge difference. Now, Jack Driscoll didn't play great at left tackle, but allowed six pressures. But Offense still does their thing. And, you know, it gets a team that we shit on the Cardinals a lot, but they've, they're still, you know, won a couple games this year. Like, they're still a team that was in the playoffs last year and isn't too dissimilar to that team. So, to have that, backups at left guard, left tackle, not get the best game from Jalen Hurts. Probably his worst throw of the season he makes and obviously didn't result in the pick. Jalen Thompson drops it, but to still win, come out with W. That's that's what the that's what the good teams do. You know, that's what the best teams in the NFL. So I think you gotta put the Eagles in that conversation. Now, Arizona Cardinals perspective, I feel like every week I have some very shit on them take, fair or unfair. But I'm gonna say Rondell Moore, real nice to see him making plays yet again. Seven catches, sixty eight yards, still feels a little forced in the offense when they're doing like some scheme touches to him. Doesn't feel like he really they have a great plan on how to utilize him best because he had two carries for negative seven yards in this game to bring his total to three carries for negative 11 yards on the season, which I want to keep, I want to see if he can go lower. I, I want to know the record for most yards lost as a runner because the NFL doesn't count sacks as a runner, whereas college does. But I want to see like who's lost the most yards in a season. I think we can go lower with Rondell Moore. Would not surprise me if he winds up in like the negative 20s with the way Cliff Kingsbury's used him, but 
Good to see Emily South there making plays. Would like to see more of it in the Cardinals' offense. And I'm kind of excited. Two weeks from now, we get to see a little full. We get Hollywood. We get Rondale. We get Nuke. That's they, they, could, they could be a different team then than they are now. I don't think that's crazy to say. But until then, I, I don't think this is close to a playoff team. Double XP weekend this mm. weekend. Worth noting. Okay. And who the Cardinals got? No, it was a double oh, XP Oh, it was weekend. this weekend. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. So, hey, you, you survived. You survived if you're a Cardinals fan. It didn't go too far south. Um, all right. Cowboys-Rams. Cowboys. Put a hurt on the Rams. Oof. 22 to 10. Did you call that or was that Trev? Trev called it. It's just football. Yep. Trev said. That was a good bet. Trev said he stays undefeated. Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush sees him. Um, one take for the Cowboys, though, is just how much better Tony Pollard is than Zeke Elliott. It, it's anyone who is even briefly familiar with the game of football, like has a passing interest can if you watch a Dallas Cowboys game at this point like if you go if you've watched every Dallas Cowboys game it could not be more obvious 5.6 yards per carry for Pollard 3.8 for Zeke Pollard's broken as many tackles as Zeke has they both have nine Pollard's done it on 44 carries Zeke's done it on 81 carries and even in this game just the next gear that they have well that Pollard has that Zeke does not have it's just evident week after week, eight carries, 86 yards, Tony Pollard. I, I, I wonder when they kind of say, hey, I know we're paying this guy unreal amount of money to be the running back of Dallas Cowboys, but he's not the best guy. It's quite obvious at this point he's not the best guy. Pollard's sick. Pollard's like a top, I'll say conservatively, a top 10 back in the NFL. I don't think that's a hot take. But he, he is every time touch the rock. You don't average 5.1 per carry for his career over four seasons now, unless you got the goods. Um, Rams perspective. Yikes. This is, this is panic button time. This is we may not make the playoffs time. And it goes back to the offensive line. Unwinnable. You can't have – it's probably the biggest fall off year on year I can remember for an offensive line. They went from – they already have 84 pressures allowed this year. They are over halfway to their total from last season. We're five games in. Over halfway to how many they allowed all last season. They lead the NFL, 84 pressures allowed. And yeah, it's been some, it's because there's been a lot of injuries. They've been rotating guys at different positions. But it's not going to win you games. You're not going to win games, and especially when you face the Cowboys with that defensive line. That was a nightmare. That was a trot. Like, the, what, 23 pressures I think they allowed this week? Oh, you're just not going to win a lot of games with this offensive line. I, I don't care how good a defense is. I don't care how good Matt Stafford is. Cooper Cup, that's why you have to have some modicum of competency in the trenches or else you cannot get the ball moving offensively. It is it's a death now. All right, last game on the schedule. Ravens, Bengals, tough one. Sunday night football. The the Bengals lose 17 to 19. The Bengals are just I, I think it's time to say it. They're just an average football team. This is just this is just an average football team. They they are they went to the Super Bowl last year, but this is a 8 and 9, 9 and 8 team. 
Solid on the defense side of the ball. Flawed on the offense side of the ball. And I and I think it's I don't think there's I don't think they're gonna change. Like I, I think they are screwed. This the splits for Joe Burrow versus too high that he's seeing all the time this year. And we'll get into actually in the mailbag a little bit more on too high stuff. But it's unbelievable. He is top ten in EPA per play against single high, bottom three in EPA per play against too high. Because they're running like the same routes. They don't have they, they're having, you know, Jamar Chase run goes into rolled over safeties, which just that's that's a waste of Jamar Chase at that point. And Burrow will force it in there. And too. then, yeah, and, and that's like, the problem. And then you, you saw it last night, like he'll dink and dunk down the field mm-hmm. until he gets impatient and he's like, oh, I need a big play. And that's when he takes a sack yes. or that's when he makes up his mind that he's throwing a chase before the ball is even snapped and mm-hmm. Patrick Queen comes up with an interception. That, that's, that's what that's that's the big problem. He just needs to be patient. Is that he doesn't have that, and you almost don't – you aren't afforded that with his offensive line because as soon as you get behind the sticks, as, so, as soon as there is a negative play in a run from Mixon, a sack on Joe Burrow, it, that, that drives dead because they haven't figured out a way or aren't even attempting to combat these two high defenses with anything that remotely resembles an explosive passing game. So, but yeah, against too high this year, he is one touchdown, five picks, zero big-time throws, and seven turnover-worthy plays. PFF passing rate of 50.3. It's, the O-line is not good enough to run against those looks consistently, and that's killing them, killing them. Ravens' perspective, great rebound game for their defense. I think it is only a matter of time before this defense kind of gels and you see the secondary play up to its potential. Um, yeah, I mean, not many more. To survive kind of a, I'd call a bad Lamar game, you know, that was not one of his better performances this season from a grading perspective. Only the Buffalo game was lower. To survive that and win against your biggest divisional opponent at the moment, has to be has to be good if you're a Ravens fan that was necessary for them the NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL we're talking touchdowns big plays and even bigger wins new customers can bet just five dollars on any NFL team to win and get two hundred dollars in free bets if they do if that's not enough everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100% with bigger payouts than ever. Why bet on football anywhere else? Make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code PFF only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. No House Advantage is changing the game by offering the most dynamic fantasy sports platform available today. Play in pick'em contests versus other people for a shot at winning $250,000 plus in cash. Download the app, choose a contest, select your player props, earn points for correct picks, and climb the leaderboard for your shot to win big money every day. You can also test your skills versus the house and 20x 
your entry if you hit all your picks. Bet on up to five player props, over-unders, or individual player matchups across every major sports league, including NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and NASCAR. Sign up now with promo code BALL at nohouseadvantage.com or download the app on the App Store to get a first deposit match up to $25. Make sure to check out No House Advantage today and experience daily fantasy sports redefined because it is not just how you play, but also where you play. You won't want to miss out on this. Talking Ball is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right, mailbag. First question comes from, oof, I'm going to butcher this name here, Vishnu Srinivas on Twitter. He said, coming from a non-X's nose guy, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on a particular phenomenon. Two eye shells have notably caused the Chiefs offense issues over the past year. However, as I understand it, playing this coverage makes the defense more susceptible to the run. Since the Chiefs have such a prolific run-blocking line, why do they still struggle in these situations? Good question. Now, it, it's struggle comparatively. So you're, you're basically the two high shells, what they've done to the Chiefs is take them from this you know, all-time sort of offense. You go back and look at the run they were on from 2018, 2019, early parts of 2020 was just offense to the degree that, you know, the league's probably has happened. You can count on one hand the amount of stretches we've seen like that from an offense in the NFL. So that's kind of, that's the bar you're setting against is that they just haven't looked that good against two high shells, which is kind of, you know, it's still a big deal um, when you are an opposing defense coordinator is to just slow down an offense that that's that good. So it, it takes, you do have a good run blocking offensive line, but instead of, you know, 50, 60 yard plays to Tyreek Hill, to Miko Hardman, Travis Kelsey, whatever, it's walking through that door. Now your ideal, you know, a good run is eight to nine yards. It's a, just a different animal in what you're doing. And you have to consistently do that. And the whole sort of why well, you've seen such a rise in it throughout the NFL is basically teams saying, well, we'd rather give up 20 points, basically knowing that we're going to give up these drives, that we know we're going to give up a lot of first down conversions because of the way we're playing defense, to not give up a ton of chunk plays that are what leads to your defense just getting decimated and 30, 40 points on the scoreboard. So you're seeing a lot of teams make that decision and say, yeah, we'll give you scores. We'll give you field goals. We'll give you that. But then you have to, we'll, we'll make it so you have to be efficient in the red zone and efficient going down the field to make those, uh, to score your points. So I think that's the biggest thing. And yeah, the Chiefs have, uh, they, they, they've been better of late as run blocking offensive line. So struggling is the compare, is like comparatively struggling because they're still, I believe, an EPA per dropback, still number one in the NFL. You know? <laughs> so I, I do think that it's only helped to slow down, but it's not taking them from it's not look like what well, we see the Bengals look like against two eye coverages this season all right nh81 on an apple podcast asked this if the bears do move on from justin fields do the optics alone make it impossible to take cj stroud that's a good one 
I, and it's something that I don't have, you know, I always say don't have to deal with as an outsider, that sort of decision of fans are probably going to be pissed if you move on from one Ohio state quarterback to draft another, even if they are two different people, even if, you know, Aaron Rodgers was drafted right after Kyle Bowler in the first round, you know, like there, there's, there are different human beings and yeah, they've hailed from the same offense that asked them to do the same things, but they played it completely differently. So didn't we talk about this last week or like two weeks ago? Like how do you think that was going to impact Stroud's draft stock? Justin Fields oh, okay. just being buns. Yes. I guess for the Bears, yeah, that's a totally different argument. Yeah. But. Okay. Yeah, we did talk about Fields impacting Stroud's draft stock, and I don't, I don't think it can. Like, there, there are some aspects of it. You, you do have to, but it, it's for for every quarterback. You have to take into the surrounding talent, the situation, what's he asked to do, and what's he actually doing. That is a that is massive part of the quarterback evaluation. But also the way Stroud is winning from the quarterback at the quarterback position at the collegiate level is far more translatable than Fields ever was. Fields was always just unbelievably toolsy, very impressive as a deep passer, very accurate on such throws, one hell of a runner, but was always kind of going to be a steep transition from college to the NFL. I I don't think that's the same thing about CJ Stroud. He doesn't even run like CJ Stroud like refuses to break the pocket and scramble. He is always looking to pass. He is a pocket passer through and through. So apples to oranges a little bit. Um, I, I just think you'd be you'd be missing out to draft someone else ahead of him just because the jersey that the guy wears is the same as the jersey that the guy before you wore, and he didn't turn out. All right, on to Charlie Fat Joe on Twitter. I said, Mike, love the pod. Been listening since 2020. I am also a Bears fan, which has been rough. In your most recent mock draft, you had the Bears taking Bryce Young at four. I actually love this idea. As you have pointed out, Justin Fields is not a QB when he faces any pressure. If you were made the GM of the Bears, I understand you're a Packers fan, but let's say you offer they offer you Kenny Galladay base salary money. That would be sick. How would you surround Young with talent to ensure he didn't fail as well while also establishing a winning product on the defense side of the ball? Okay. So basically, how... Do I turn this around? And I'll just dock a sugarcoat here. It's not going to be overnight. There, there's no getting everything back to even average with the just lack of talent in this roster. So it's going to take a couple years. But I do think if this is what we see from Fields the entire season, this level of play, and you are number one, number two, number three, and you, you have Bryce Young staring you in the face. I pull the trigger 10 times out of 10, 10 times out of 10. And then if Justin Fields does become good, that's a great problem to have on your hands. That is ideal problem to have on your hands. Mere months after the Cowboys drafted Troy Aikman back in the day, 1989, they also then drafted another quarterback named Scape Me in the first round of the supplemental draft. It is not crazy to take as many swings at the most valuable position when you don't have that guy. And not just don't have that guy. You have a guy playing dreadfully, despite your thoughts. Whatever your thoughts are on Justin Fields. I had him ranked third on the PFF draft board. I have anyone should be high on him. I am worried. I would take Bryce Young. I would take the chance because quarterbacks hold their value so well. So I'll say that. Start with Bryce Young. I also do think next year's wide receiver class, at least in free agency at the moment, is awful. 
If you go take a look, like the best one's Nelson Aguilar. It's not going to be good. So I don't, I don't think that's where I'm looking to add a piece. Now, maybe via trade, if someone's coming available, if like an Amari Cooper situation is happening, I'm being a player in that where I'm going to have the cap space that I just need the talent. I need someone for my quarterback to throw to so he doesn't suck. But I'm spending the most of my free agent resources next year at the very minimum at offensive line. My second-round pick next year, so I drafted Young in the first. I'm thinking it's top of the second. I am going for, like, the guard that is always somewhere in that mix that you just know is going to be solid. Maybe he doesn't have the highest ceiling, but he's going to be good. That's where I'm drafting someone like USC's Andrew Voorhees, where it's just like, he'll be good. That's where I'm looking if I'm the Chicago Bears to try to revamp this thing around. And then maybe, since you know you're starting a rookie quarterback, you know your roster's still rough in 2023, then next year you're hoping like, hey, maybe I get a Marvin Harrison Jr. at the top of 2024. That's when I'm looking to get that number one type of wide receiver to make a real impact next to Darnell Mooney. And then you're, go- then you're golden. You're golden at that point. So I think that's my route that I'm taking to offensive success if I'm the Chicago Bears. But it's going to get worse before it gets better here. Next mailbag question comes from Paul Maxwell on Twitter. He asked this. If the Washington Commanders continue to struggle, should Sam Howell get significant playing time in the second half of the season? Majority of Commanders fans, including myself, are over the Carson Wentz experience and want to see Howell. They need to see Howell if they can show any signs of being a starting QB before the strong 2023 QB class, but Ron Rivera is very conservative and won't admit that Wentz, made, that Wentz was a mistake. Yeah, that's a, it's a bad trait to have, you know, right, in, in any management position whether it's head coach, whether it's GM, owner, president, not being able to, the sunk cost fallacy is real and permeates through every walk of life. No one wants to say they're wrong. I hate saying I'm wrong. It's not a good feeling, right? But the best, to be the best decision makers in the NFL, the correct way to make decisions is to find that out as soon as possible when you're wrong and to make that decision to move on and to me there's no I don't want to say I don't want to shit on Carson Wentz too much because I, I do think he's still probably one of the 32 best starting quarterbacks in the league but he's somewhere between 20 and 32 and 20 and 32 right now is not getting you to where you want to be as a franchise I'm not saying Sam Howell will but he will at least get you he'll at least show you what he is if you play in the second half of this season, you'll at least get to know that. And as I said earlier, worst comes to worst, he's giving you a higher draft pick if he does suck. He, if he is really bad, you are getting a higher draft pick. You are getting a having to give away a lower draft pick in the Carson Wentz trade. And then you know, maybe Sam Howell's not the guy. Maybe I go somewhere else. But that's me. I obviously have a different outlook on a lot of team building and a lot of sort of team management than how the NFL is traditionally done because I, I, I don't look at the goal of every season to win every single game. I think the goal of every season is to get, to get close as you can to winning Super Bowls. And there's no closeness to the Washington Commanders right now in terms of winning Super Bowl. They are very far away. So how do we get closer? Not Carson Wentz. That's how. It is not via him. All right. Double P on Twitter asks this. 
You are the final arbiter of the Hall of Fame. Only two spots remain, and they are for the QB position. You are handed a short list of five QBs you have to choose from. Love this one. And they include Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Ryan, and Eli Manning. Which three are out and which two are into the Hall of Fame? Ooh, this one's... I hate this one. I don't like this one. I think it's also important to distinguish... Like this is this is your decision and not what you think the yes, Hall of Fame voters. This is who do. I would put because it, one of them, if we're talking about just what the Hall of Fame voters are going to do, is very easy. It's Eli Manning because his last name's Manning. Correct, and he's on a lot of commercials. Eli's going to get in the Hall. Of yep. Fame. Sorry, to break it to you. It's going to happen. But there's one one no brainer in my opinion. Ben Roethlisberger is in the Hall of Fame. Multiple Super Bowl wins, while also playing very well in them. And also just having a track record of year-on-year elite-level quarterback play. Ben Roethlisberger's in the Hall of Fame. That one, we don't have to debate. After that, uh, Matt Ryan's probably the definite odd man out here. No Super Bowls. Is he? I think he He is. He has an MVP award, and he's going to finish his career probably top five all-time in passing yards. Is he going to finish top five? Yeah. I got to pull it up right here. Where what what's his number right now? What's he uh, so he is at eight right now, sixty one thousand one hundred and eleven yards. Dan Marino's sixty one thousand three sixty one. Phil Rivers sixty three four forty. So he'll probably get he'll probably pass Phil Rivers this year. Mm. And then Ben is at sixty four zero eight eight. So if he plays maybe one more year, maybe a half of a year, mm-hmm. he's gonna be top five. <sighs> yeah, I. I still lean. I'm not a Matt Ryan stands. Yeah. I'm just saying, like that's a that's Hall of Fame ish resume right there. It's close, yeah. You're not wrong. I here's the tough part. I think, or I would have said, you know, I would have assumed Russell Wilson. You know, three or four. He's 33 years old. I would have said he probably has four more years at the kind of level of play we've seen from him of late which was good until after his thumb injury, and then obviously until this year. Like, given that assumption, I, I would have thought it was him no-brainer. But I don't think that's an assumption we can make at the moment. With what he's playing, 59.4 passing grade, never been below 70 any other season the rest of his career, and just in the tank right now, I don't think we can assume that he's going to play three or four more years at a high level. So just in terms of, overall resume then for these guys i think it's between eli and stafford and oh i don't do that i I think i'm leaning eli i think i'd lean eli then oh i hate that i'm even saying that but yeah i think he's gonna get in i mean it's it's a foregone conclusion yeah and, and he, he's also top 10 in passing yards. He's ninth. He had it's some 7, insane years. He had some years, namely 2011. And in that range, I think 2009, he was pretty nasty too. That was just like, okay, he's playing out of his mind. And he played behind some shit offensive lines in New York for a while there. Like he was getting, he would have, other quarterbacks would have gotten just utterly demolished behind some of the lines that he played with. Eli managed to win two Super Bowls 
over that span. Do you I don't think know. Cooper Manning is going to get in the Hall of Fame, even though he never played an NFL snap, just because his last name's Manning? Just as uh, you it's know, possible con- contributions to the game. Certainly or whatever. possible. They give that. He did. He's his uh, his son. His son might. We might we be yeah, crowning a son. Arch. Here. Yeah. Um, so I guess I'm going Roethlisberger Manning. Oof. But that that also like you know, Wilson has years. Stafford has years. I don't think Ryan's done enough, in my opinion. So those are the guys I'm going with. What do you think about Phil Rivers? Oh, man. Phil just I, – I don't know. He, he's, he was a better year-on-year quarterback than Eli Manning. He had some another guy with some bad, bad teams that he kind of made look a lot better that just had no business being – in the hunt the way they were for a lot of those years. But no rings, not, not even sniffing a ring. Hard to really put him in that conversation. Ah, I, I hate the conversation, though, because it is so ring-focused. When that's, There's only so much you can do. Only so much you can do. Only, the only teams like Rivers had that I would realistically put in like ring adjacent that should have been there were really early on in his career. After that, they just did not surround him with enough talent. All right, Will Rich on Twitter says this. Hey, Mike, is it time to consider DJ Uyunglele a first-round prospect? Came in last year with a ton of hype, and it sucked. But he's leading college football in big-time throws and has posted a solid PFF passing grade. I know you love your boy Tanner McKee. I do. But DJ U's numbers have been just as good, has a much lower pressure to sack conversion rate, appears more mobile, and pretty much every stat is better from a clean pocket. Not first round. He is still far too inaccurate, in my opinion, to be put in that conversation. Still sales a few too many. I will say a lot of the other stuff, though, looks a lot better. He's definitely been a lot better under pressure this season. That's, I think, the one biggest thing. Um, And his deep ball is very much improved. I, I do think there is a world in which he ends up a first rounder. I think we're too close to that bad season, though, for NFL teams to trust him. I honestly think you're going to see him come back for another year. I doubt he declares. So keeps playing like this this year. If he comes back another year like this, then we can start to talk. You know, starts to consistently week in, week out, no duds on the schedule, then we can talk. Then we can be like, okay, DJ's first round. I mean, he's got the tools, right? But – you can't play as bad as he did last year. Just complete ineptitude at the quarterback position for a full year as a starter, as a sophomore, and really ex- expect to get on radars that quickly. I think teams would just be a little scared of that. So, Next one, Josh McDonald on Twitter says this, Elijah Vera Tucker, now at our right tackle. Over the last two years, he started at left guard, right guard, left tackle, and right tackle, zero pressures. Zero pressures this past week, that is. Where should he be playing? Uh, also, Brees Hall in the second round. Should Jets fans still care about how trading up is bad? Um, I think you should care about how trading up is bad. I, I do think long-term, it's still team-building strategy is in your best interest not to give up picks. But I thought Elijah Vera Tucker is a great player, and I thought Brees Hall is a great player coming out. So draft's full of great players sometimes. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker, though, where should he be playing? I think right tackle. 
that's where that's where you need him to play, right? Like, what ultimately long term, I don't know what Mackay Becton's sort of prospects are of returning and ever playing at a high level again. Obviously, two seasons now lost with injury, but if you just assume he comes back and he's healthy and he's solid. I think you keep Elijah Vera Tucker at right tackle. He played there this past week, and I know he didn't play there in college, but he's had enough experience. You know, played right guard, left guard, left tackle in three subsequent seasons at USC. Now played left guard, right guard, two subsequent seasons at the Jets before now getting jostled between left and right tackle the past two weeks. There are tackles doing it with his arm length in the NFL. Braden Smith did it at right tackle, has done it at right tackle for the Colts for a few years now. It's not impossible, and it's so much more valuable, as Jets fans can attest to, the tackle position versus the guard position. A, ta- a bad tackle put- brings your offense to your knees. So I, th- I would put him at right tackle. I'd keep him there. Um, Do you think finances is going to play into that at all? Because if you move him to right tackle and he balls, then you got to pay him a lot pay more? more? No, you can't, you can't factor that in. You gladly pay that guy more, I think. And it's, it's getting to the point where high-end guards make a ton of money too. You, you just you got to worry about what's best in terms of on the football field. That to me, right tackle is where I'd play him. Um, next up, Josh Alstrom on Twitter says this: Hey, Mike, since we just had a Michael Penix question, what are your thoughts on BYU's Jaron Hall? Interesting prospect, because for a number of reasons. One, he's about to turn twenty-five years old for the draft. He is way on the older side. I highlighted him and Hendon Hooker as two guys who will be 25-year-old rookies that could also be drafted at the quarterback position, which is a rarity. Um, so, one, he has that knock against him. Two, he has the size knock against him. 6'1", 205. He, he may go to the combine and measure in at six foot. He, he's not a big dude. That's old and small, not a great combo. He looked bad against Notre Dame this past week, and I'll say. I, I think he's improved as a downfield pass this year. He has a gun. I mean, he has arm talent, which is why he's on radars. One hell of an athlete at that size. But I still watch him. And he's more athlete than quarterback, if that makes any sense. I would, I would not even, you know, I'd throw a dart fifth, sixth round, seventh round. That's, that's how I feel about Jaron Hall at the moment. I, I'm, I, don't, I feel a lot stronger about Hendon Hooker. If we're talking about the older quarterbacks, Hendon Hooker is playing his way in too a lot better draft position uh, than Jaron Hall has this season, even if he has improved, in my opinion, from some of the things we saw on tape last year. All right, next up, Cole takes OSU. Had this for a mailbag question. He said, is there a chance Jalen Carter, that's the Georgia defensive tackle, is higher on some teams' boards than Will Anderson? Very similar to the 2019 class when some teams valued Quinnen Williams over Nick Bosa. Interior defensive linemen who can rush the passer at an elite level are a rarity. While the other multiple first-round edges, there are multiple first-round edges every year. You know, I think there are multiple first-round edges every year because that's the that's the position that impacts that can impact passing game the most. Now, interior pressure is deadlier than exterior pressure, edge pressure, but you just have have far more opportunities on the edge to avoid double teams, to go one-on-one, to actually impact opposing pass game. So. I think a lot of times when people are like, oh, he's higher on some boards. Well, it's like if you have, you know, say you're the Chargers. You got Joey Bost, you got Cleo Mack. Are you going to draft Will Anderson? Or do you want the guy in the interior? You know, boards are made up differently because teams have different needs and different wants. 
Um, so if you're, you know, you're the bears and you really need that three technique in Matt Eberflus's defense. Sure. I could see them having Jalen Carter higher than Will Anderson because that's such a key component, something that, you know, they were desperate for this off season. We're willing to actually sign a free agent and Larry Ogunjobi to do so. So I could see it, but it would only be based on that talent wise from like what they're doing on a football field and impact wise, you're still leaning Will Anderson there. All right. This one comes from Peyton Gardner on Twitter, I believe. He said, thoughts on the Paul Christ firing? Who do you think would be the best replacement for him? So Paul Christ, obviously out as Wisconsin head coach. My first, my initial thought, and now I, growing up, I was a massive Wisconsin football fan. I remember being, going to Memorial Stadium to watch Juice Williams against Wisconsin in maybe like 07 and was Illinois winning. And I was like livid. I remember just being pissed. I, I used to be like big Big Badgers fan. Falling off in that regard, obviously now I lean more Notre Dame in terms of my how much my interest in college football, how much time I spend following. But I will say they couldn't lose Jim Leonard. So my initial thought was just they knew that, hey, we're kind of trending in the wrong direction, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And we have a defensive coordinator that is going to be is literally getting sought after by NFL teams that if we go another year, he may be coaching somewhere else. He may be in the NFL. He may be not walking through that door when he's one of the best DCs in college football. I mean, what he has done on the defense side of the ball for Wisconsin has been uh, incredible over the past handful of years. So that was my first thought was just they realized they can't lose Jim Leonard and we're going to should they let Paul Chris go through the rest of the season. So he's obviously the interim. I think they make it full-time once the season is over, but – Interested to hear um, from other, uh, you know, Wisco fans what they think on that topic. But that's that was just my initial thought uh, because, man, the offense, not to, say, not to say you can't win with that style of football that they were playing, but they just need to change us. It, it, was, it had gotten to the point where it was not – it's just been stale. I mean, you're seeing it in Iowa. You're seeing it in Wisconsin that – that style of football has kind of run its course and it doesn't take much to put up points. It doesn't take a little too much innovation to actually be able to score with some of the better offenses in college football, to actually be able to not, you know, be an atrocity on that side of the ball. Last mailbag question here, and then we'll get you guys out for the day. This one comes from FPL matrix. And he said, although it's only four game sample, if you were re-ranking wide receivers from the 2020 NFL draft, how much higher, would Romeo Dubs be now compared to where he was in April? That is a great question. And I, I was lamenting this to Trevor Sigma the other day, now roommate, other PFF analyst, saying, you know, I loved Dubs, Dobbs' tape at Nevada. I was super high on him going into the season, super high on him going out of his senior season, and then he had one of the worst senior bowls I've seen. And, and I put a lot of stock in the senior bowl. It's, you know, it's one-on-ones against NFL, future NFL corners. And it was awful. But he also had a play very early on in the senior bowl, the very first day where Carson Strong, just in warm-ups, led him into the group on a go ball on the other side of the field. He gets tripped up, hobbles off the field, didn't come back for a little bit, came back, played the rest of the week. But then he doesn't 
work out as pro day, misses a good amount of time, undisclosed injury. I think he got hurt on that play and tried to play through an injury at the Senior Bowl. I have no more information to back this up other than I was right there, and he definitely ran head like hard into another player on the other side of the field and was limping when he got back up. And then he had an absolute shit Senior Bowl. So ended up ranked 100th on the PFF draft board coming in. Obviously falls to later in that actual draft. Wide receiver, outside the top 10 wide receivers on the PFF draft board. Um, I would have him in a re, if I, if I could redo it, I'd say I'd bump him up to somewhere in the 50s at the moment. It hasn't been so outstandingly good that I know for a fact this guy's going to be, you know, a number one, number two. Still, still some projection. Still like pumping the brakes in that regard. But I'm definitely taking him over, you know, Danny Gray from SMU, who I had higher than him. Alec Pierce from Cincinnati. I'd, I'd probably still lean Dobbs in that. I'd probably lean Dobbs after this. Calvin Austin from Memphis. Cal Phillips from UCLA. Christian Watson, obviously, I have Packers. I'm leaning more towards him. John Mechie. That one's debatable. These are all guys ahead of him in like the 70s. Obviously, Mechie was never going to play this year with the ACL. I'd probably put him ahead of all those guys in the moment from what I've seen this rookie year because he's a high-end athlete, 6'2", over 200 pounds, uh, had a broad jump over 10 feet, ran uh, high 4'4s at it when he ultimately did work out in April. So, yeah, I think Dobbs somewhere in the 50s is where I would do in a redraft. Probably somewhere like wide receiver 7, 8 is where I would put him. So, all right, there you have it, your mailbag. Really appreciate all the questions. As always, send them to PFF underscore talking ball on Twitter. If you send a DM to me, I might see it, might not. If you want your question answered, definitely send it in to BFF underscore talking ball. And on Thursday's episode, Movie Club, all the right moves. Make sure to go watch it before then. We'll give a full review on then. Until next time, talking ball. 